about hopes and fears. I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent on hopes and fears, but I, I hope that's okay. Um, if you were walking in a little earlier, you might have seen over there uh, post-its up on the glass wall over there. On the green one, and I actually I would like you guys to do that now if you haven't. Uh, on the green ones, you could write what went right this year, what went perfectly, what was beautiful, what you thank God for. And on one of the red ones, you could write down something that went wrong, something that you were not happy happened, something that you wish hadn't happened. And if you don't want anybody to read what you wrote, you could fold them in half, but please stick it up there. Um, I want to be able to fill up that entire glass wall if possible and not set off the alarm again. So <laughs> if that's possible, we'll do that. Um, and if you, have, you happen to get up while I'm talking, if something comes to mind that you want to write up there, something that's gr happened great this year or something that wasn't so great, uh, feel free to stand up and it won't bother me at all. Um, so tangent shift. Now we are another week closer to celebrating an event that has changed the lives of billions of people. We are in the season of Advent, which is a word derived from the Latin word meaning to come to or to arrive. And all of the world is coming together, putting their differences aside to celebrate the advent of... Anyway, oh, thank you, sir. This is the latest film, the Star Wars series, The Force Awakens. Who has tickets already? Raise your hand if you do. I'm not surprised. So with episode seven about to come upon us, we can't help but get a little bit nostalgic. I'm sure everyone here has seen the movies. I'm guessing most of the people in here has. Some of you haven't, but we're working on that. Um, and I'm sure everyone here has a story they can share about Star Wars. And here is mine. I saw episode four on TV as a kid. Here. This is a mall uh, in, in Tanferin in San Bruno. And it no longer exists. But it was 1983. I was six years old. And I went to a matinee of Return of the Jedi with my dad. Armed with a soft drink. I was excited about throughout the entire movie with the rescue of Han Solo from Tatooine and from the speeder bike chase and the preparation of the attack on the second Death Star. But the moment, the moment that I had been waiting for was the fight scene between Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. I had seen the commercials. And in the middle of the lightsaber duel, Vader was stalking Luke underneath the throne room platform. And Luke was trying to keep his thoughts from betraying him. And at this moment, my soft drink would have its revenge. I had to pee so bad during the attack on the shield generator just a few minutes before, but I figured I could handle the pressure. I could not. The wise move would have been to tell my dad and have him escort me to the bathroom. But there was no way I was going to miss that scene. So I went. All over my pants. All over the movie seats. I was soaked. And thus, I did not miss this scene. Which is one of my favorite movies of all time. One of my favorite movie scenes of all time. I was so relieved in more ways than one. Well, the movie ended. And as we walked out of the theater, my dad noticed that my pants were a darker shade of gray than they had been two hours earlier. What did you do? I peed my pants. Why didn't you tell me you had to use the bathroom? Because I didn't want to miss the lightsaber fight. Oh, okay. <laughs> I had expected him to go crazy, but he completely understood. But I'm digressing from the main point of our time today. Star Wars is not the narrative we're talking about today. Instead, we are talking about the advent of Jesus Christ over 2,000 years ago. 
and the expectations that accompanied him. More specifically, we're going to discuss the events leading up to the birth of Jesus, which took here. Oops. Took here. Place here. In the temple of Jerusalem, roughly a year before Jesus was born. We'll be reading from the book of Luke, chapter 1, from the message translation. Now, I use the message uh, translation as a secondary source for myself, just because it adds a little bit of context and sometimes some 20th century vocabulary. And I think it's going to be helpful for us to hear today. Now, if you, we've never done this before, but if you want to read this with me, please do. Okay? Actually, not, maybe not this one. Yes, maybe this is one. Here we go. During the rule of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest assigned service in the regiment of Abijah. His name was Zechariah. His wife was descended from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Together they lived honorably before God, careful in keeping to the ways of the commandments and enjoying a clear conscience before God. But they were childless because Elizabeth could never conceive, and now they were quite old. It so happened that as Zechariah was carrying out his priestly duties before God, working the shift assigned to his regiment, it came his one turn in life to enter the sanctuary of God and burn incense. The congregation was gathered and praying outside the temple at the hour of the incense offering. Unannounced, an angel of God appeared just to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was paralyzed with fear, but the angel reassured him. Don't fear, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth, your wife, will bear a son by you. You are to name him John. You are going to leap like a gazelle for joy. And not only you, many will delight in his birth. He'll achieve great stature with God. He'll drink neither wine nor beer, but he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, different kind of spirit, from the moment he leaves his mother's womb. He will turn many sons and daughters of Israel back to their God. He will herald God's arrival in the style and strength of Elijah, soften the hearts of parents to children, and kindle the Kindle devout understanding among hardened skeptics. He'll get the people ready for God. Zechariah said to the angel, You expect me to believe this? I'm an old man. My wife is an old woman. But the angel said, I am Gabriel, the sentinel of God, sent especially to bring you this glad news. But because you won't believe me, you will be, be unable to say a word until the day of your son's birth. Every word I've spoken to you spoken to you, will come true on time. God's time. Now let's take a look at some of the key phrases from this passage. God's messenger, his angel, which is, angel is just basically a transliteration of the Greek for messenger. God's messenger said to Zechariah, Elizabeth, your wife, will bear you a son. And the son will be like the prophet of old Elijah in the New Test- on the Old Testament. And Zechariah responded, I'm an old man. We're old. A child? you got to be kidding. But the messenger confirmed that every word that he would speak would be true in God's timing. Now, does any of this sound familiar to you? Have you heard a Bible story like this before? Where old man, old woman, baby, hands, anybody, anybody? Just yell it out, say it, say it. Abraham, thank you very much. Let's take a look at what happened at this place. Roughly 1,800 years before Jesus was born. The book of Genesis, chapter 18, verse 1. God appeared to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent. It was the hottest part of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing. 
He ran from his tents to greet them and bowed before them. The men said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? He said, In the tent. One of them said, I'm coming back around this time next year, and when I arrive, your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent opening just behind the man. Abraham and Sarah were old by this time, very old. Sarah was far past the age for having babies, and Sarah laughed within herself. An old woman like me get pregnant with this old man of a husband? God said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh saying, me, have a baby, an old woman like me? Is anything too hard for God? I'll be back around this time next year, and Sarah will have a baby. Now let's do a little bit of a comparison between these two. We have here Elizabeth having the child. We have here wife Sarah having the child. We have here uh, Luke talking about the style and the strength of Elijah. That's, that's what John the Baptist would be. In Genesis, this doesn't exist, but the, the parallel is actually found in Malachi. It's a prophecy. As for the old woman, same exact, almost same exact statement being made. And also, the statement, is anything too big for God? Is anything too hard for God to deal with? Whenever we, we, hear a story, we immediately consider whether it's true or not. Could I, Mark, pee in my pants while watching a movie? Yes, it's possible, because I've done it before. Could Steph Curry shoot a three-pointer? Of course, he does it all the time. Not so much yesterday, but all the time. <laughs> Could it continue to rain all through the night? Sure. Probably raining just in a little bit. Now, the people who heard the story of Zechariah knew of this event, and they thought, would God actually work like this? And the answer was yes, because they knew God had done it before in the life of Abraham. There was a precedent for Zechariah's story. And so the people's expectations were met, and so it's believable. Zechariah's story, Zechariah's story was valid, and they could place their hope in what was to come. But would an event that happened a few months ago, a few months later, be just as valid? Now let's take a look at that. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to the Galilean village of Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to be married to a man descended from David. His name was Joseph, and the virgin's name, Mary. Upon, greeting, upon entering, Gabriel greeted her. Good morning! You're beautiful with God's beauty, beautiful inside and out. God be with you. She was thoroughly shaken, wondering what was behind a greeting like that. But the angel assured her, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. You will become pregnant, and give birth to a son, and call his name Jesus. Mary said to the angel, But how? I've never slept with a man. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the highest hover over you. Therefore, the child you bring to birth will be called Holy, Son of God. And did you know that your cousin Elizabeth conceived the son, old as she is? Everyone called her barren, and here she is, six months pregnant. Nothing you see is impossible with God. So let's look at some of the key phrases from this verse. The messenger of God told Mary, you'll become pregnant. Mary asks, but how? I've never slept with a man. The messenger says, your child will be called 
holy, the Son of God, because nothing is impossible with God. But there is no other story in the Bible like this. The only reference in the Bible to a virgin having a child is a prophecy out of the book of Elijah. Uh, that's chapter 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Valid? Sure. But it's taken out of context. So when people heard Mary's story and thought, would God actually work like this? The answer was, there's no precedent for this. God's never done this before. We have an expectation of how God will work, and this doesn't fit. Therefore, I'm not so sure Mary's story is true. In fact, because this story fails to meet our expectations, it's not something to put our hope in. It's something to fear. And this becomes par for the course in Jesus' life over and over again. Jesus would say something that sounds kind of like something that God would say. Or he would, he would do something that seems kind of like something that God would do. But his words and deeds aren't quite lining up with the prophecies about the next Messiah, the one anointed by God to save his people Israel. Our Messiah is to be from Bethlehem. This man's from Nazareth. Our Messiah is to rule nations in the legitimate family of David. This man was born in poverty and filth. And his father? Well, his mother's telling the story about an angel and being overshadowed by the Spirit of God. Sounds like something that an unwed teenage mother would say to try to stay out of trouble. Our Messiah is to overthrow governments with military might and rule over Israel. This man, he never lifted a sword in anger. And he died without any Jewish person being freed of Roman rule. And you want us to believe that this man who met none of our expectations is the Messiah? Their hope was in God, but their expectations of how God would work among them blinded them to how God was actually working. He was doing something so outside of their expectations that many would consider and dismiss Jesus just like that. He came to be their hope, and instead he was the object of their fear. It's kind of like that old joke, which I'm sure you heard before, and I'm going to tell it now even though he's going, oh gosh. A terrible flood had rose over the land, and the waters rose so high that one man was forced to climb onto the roof of his house. As the water rose higher and higher, a man in a rowboat appeared and told him, Get in! No, replied the man on the roof, I have faith in the Lord. The Lord will save me. So the man in the rowboat went away, and the man on the roof prayed for God to save him. The waters rose higher and higher, and suddenly a speedboat appeared. Climb in! shouted the man in the boat. No replied the man on the roof. I have faith in the Lord. The Lord will save me. So the man in the speedboat went away. The man on the roof prayed for God to save him. The waters continued to rise, and a helicopter appeared. And over the loudspeaker, the pilot announced that he would lower a rope to the man on the roof. No, replied the man on the roof. I have faith in the Lord. The Lord will save me. So the helicopter went away, and the man on the roof prayed for God to save him. The waters rose higher and higher, and eventually they rose so high that the man on the roof was washed away. And alas, the poor man drowned. Upon arriving in heaven, the man marched straight over to God. God, he said, I had faith in you. I prayed to you to save me, and yet you did nothing. Why? God gave him a puzzled look and replied, 
I sent you two boats and a helicopter. What more do you expect? Yeah, I know it's a tired joke, so that's why everybody's laughing. No one's laughing. I'm a, I'm a regular C, you, Louis C.K. But the reason I tell the story is because it's very true about us now. We come, into, we come with expectations to any situation that we are in. When we hear about an event, we look to determine whether it could bring hope or whether it could bring fear. So we seek out precedents or signals that help us, to sh- help us see, is this good or is this bad? Has this ever happened before? Is it likely it could happen again? Is it all connected, logical, in, in line with what I expect? And if there's enough precedence, then we can say, it's hopeful. How's God working in my life? Well, he's given me all these good things. And so if this event at the end is in line with all the good things he's done so far and up until now, then this event must be a good thing too. God is working in this. The converse is true too. If there are enough precedents and signals, then we can say that an event should bring fear. How's God working in my life? Well, God gives us good things. So if this event is in line with all the bad things that's happened in my life, all the things that happened in my past, then this event must be a bad thing too. God possibly, couldn't possibly be working through this event. How we interpret the truth of an event or story is dependent upon what we've experienced. Let me say that again. How we interpret the truth of an event or a story is dependent upon what we've experienced. Our expectations line up with our experiences. So, when good things are happening, then there maybe there's another good thing that's going to happen. Maybe there's another good thing that's going to happen. And all these things begin to happen, and it seems like there's no connection between any of them. They're just events that are happening randomly and probably connected by time, but there's no connection seemingly between any of these things. Have good things been happening? Then... The next thing that happened is another good thing that's happening in life. And over and over, God is in control. But our misguided expectations can drive us crazy. They can lead us down the wrong path. And they can blind us to what God is really doing. So what I'd like to suggest is the following. When considering whether an event is God, and an event is something that he is doing, do look back at what God has been doing in the past. But don't permanently assign any quality judgments to this. Any events that we come across, we cannot say definitively, this is good or this is bad. Because when you do that, when you do it permanently, you are effectively blinding yourself to what God might be doing in and around you. Of course, we're often unable to do this in the moment. When you lose your job, when your spouse files for divorce, when your child dies... There is no good that can come from it in that moment. It is a terrible, horrible, painful event that you're experiencing. And for anyone to quote Romans 8.28 out of hand and say, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, is to rub salt in that wound, that freshly opened wound. God is going to use this for my good. What kind of all-loving, all-powerful God would do such a thing? It's a fair question. But what I'm saying is, There will be a time when, upon reflecting upon all that God has done and all that he's taken you through, you'll see a purpose in the pain. 
you'll see a reason for the affliction, a solution for the suffering. And instead of denying it or avoiding it, you'll embrace it. One of my favorite songwriters, Kirk Franklin, said, Hide me. Let me live behind you because I need shelter from the rain. Remind me. The only way my faith can grow is when you let your winds blow. You're making me stronger now. So rain, don't go away. And we see this in the lives of two people that we know, our pastors. In their journey to growing a family, there have been some great moments and there have been some very painful moments. But here they are. And if you had spoken to them at any specific time in this journey, especially during these red spots, they might have said, I give up. This is not worth the heartache. But if you ask them now to look back at this journey, they would acknowledge that all the wrong turns and all the stumbles and all the falls brought them here. All these events were necessary to build them up, to grow them, to prepare them to care for the two young women that God has placed in their lives. We see this in the lives of Abraham. We see this in the life of Zechariah and of Mary. Best of all, we see this in the life of Jesus. It is because of grace that God showed to a young woman 2,000 years ago that God came to be with humanity, to experience humanity, to connect with humanity. And it's because God came to connect with us that he could show how to fulfill our purpose, how to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And undergoing negative times, hardship and physical, emotional and spiritual pain beyond our belief, ultimately showing the lengths to which he would connect with us. And then breaking all expectations by being a dead man who came back to life and making it possible to heal all broken hearts. I give up. Especially yours. Because we, what we usually forget is that God came to heal us, to bring us together, to unite us with him. God's heart was broken as well. It wasn't just us who needed this. He needed this too. And it's because of the way he loved us and the way he created us. It is the Advent season. It is something, it's a season when we expect that God has given us something unexpected. But it's something that we desperately need. God is doing the unexpected in your lives right now. Don't close your eyes to it just because it's something you didn't want or it's because it's something that doesn't make any sense or because it's something you couldn't possibly expect from him. When I think about what went wrong this year, and this is, this is my own personal sticker on the wall, I think about my job because uh, I work part-time here, but I work full-time at a local tech company. Yahoo! <laughs> and because it would enable me to, to do ministry without being paid for it. I know that sounds a little weird, but I want to do ministry and not be paid for it. And it's something I'm working on. But I've been there over a year, and I've been antsy the entire time because I spent a lot of time over a decade trying to get an education that's completely unrelated to what I'm doing now. I spent a lot of money. I'm going to debt up to my ear because I'm, I wanted to do something, and I'm not doing it right now. 
I'm not really helping anyone, and I really don't feel like I'm doing enough here at Spark. As much as ministry can overwhelm me sometimes, I know I need to get involved. And I'll say to God, I need to talk to people about real things that affect them, not just the work that's affecting them. So quitting has been in my mind all this year. And then one day, a coworker comes up to me, and he mentions that his spouse was filing for divorce, and it was killing him. I had no clue that he was struggling this much, but knowing that he was a follower of Jesus, and knowing a couple of other followers of Jesus at work, I decided, well, let's pray for you. Let's get a prayer group around this guy so at least he would feel a modicum of support. And so we sat there in one of these meeting rooms, dead silent, staring at each other. Until this coworker who has the problems decided to share what was going on with him and, and the pain he was feeling from, from losing his wife. And then the floodgates opened. The person next to him talked about his struggle with alcohol. The person next to him talked about how stressed he was at work and how he couldn't keep up with the pace. The person next to him told us that he had stopped going to church and that he was questioning the need to actually live any of this Jesus stuff out. And that's when it hit me. This job wasn't keeping me from talking to people about real things. This job was the opportunity to talk to people about real things. I was blind to the fact that my coworkers are real people that compartmentalize their real hopes, joys, fears, and disappointment. But their hopes and fears are very much there. To me, the job was only one thing, a paycheck. To God, however, this job was a place for me to care for others. It's become my ministry field, and I never would have thought of that. So these post-its on the wall, they're not simply a list of this year's successes and failures, things that we went through cheerfully and begrudgingly, things that brought us joy and pain. No, these are things that we needed to happen, that have the potential to be used by God to grow us, to prepare us, to lead us to the next part of our journey with him. We might not recognize them or want to recognize them as such, but they just might be. And to see it, we have to change our expectations for what God does and how he accomplishes those things. So this is going to feel a little weird, but if you could all kind of turn towards that wall, this is our personal prayer wall. We've been wanting to do this for years at Spark, and this is the first attempt at it. If you all turn towards and raise your right hand, And I want you to pray with me. Let's pray. Dear God, we honestly don't know what you're doing sometimes. This wall encompasses many of the experiences we have had this year, both good and bad. But we place our hope in you. We give you our joys. We give you our fears. We give you our expectations. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to see and to hear and to understand how you lead and how you're asking us to follow, even when it doesn't make sense. Help us to trust you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.